right when you don't know what to do just keep on breathing from the city of angels in los angeles welcome to all my listeners out there in radio land i'm dave the caregiver's caregiver at caregiverdave.com and we are coming to you live and on demand 24 7 on numerous syndicated radio and podcast networks on 26 global audio and video platforms including iHeartRadio, itunes youtube spreaker soundcloud vimeo Stitcher Radio, Blog Talk Radio, CastBox, MixCloud. I mean, the list goes on and on. I won't bore you. In fact, we are proud to be voted number one caregiver podcast on Feedspot out of thousands and number one caregiver podcast on Player FM as well as CaringVillage.com. And we have a, an especially exciting show planned for you today. Elizabeth Pizzarello, and she doesn't sell pizza, uh, Beth graduated from Cedar Crest College with a BA and BS degrees and Monmouth University with an MBA. Two weeks before graduation, she was told she would be blind by the age of 40. She went blind at 38. After 10 plus years of living blind, she received a newly developed lens implant in her right eye, which gave her 20% vision. The inspiration for writing her book, Eclipsed, came after she regained some eyesight, about 20%, I believe. Before we get started, I do want to take this moment to thank my last week's guest, Phyllis Anderson, founder and creator of Carefolio, our healthcare journal and organized solution for stress-free care, enabling caregivers to focus on excellence. And just a reminder, you can watch or listen to that interview and all our interviews on our membership website, caregiverdave.com, or any of our other 26 global audio and video platforms that I mentioned earlier, like iHeartRadio, iTunes, YouTube, etc., all right, enough of that. Elizabeth, so great to have you on the Caregiver Dave show. Thank you so much for inviting me, Dave. <laughs> I always like to ask my guests, just who is Elizabeth Pizzarella and why was she placed on this earth? I was placed on this earth to be an encouraging force. Uh, my journey, I believe, has allowed me to find the benefits and in, in all aspects of life and also in finding that there are people around you that are always willing to support you if you are opened, open your mind to that. So I am one grateful soul. If you want to know who yeah. Elizabeth Pizzarello is, and I'm also, the, you, I could introduce myself as the modern Rip Van Winkle because <laughs> when I lost my sight, the little, the little man was running on AOL across the screen. When I got my sight back, you all had smartphones with these little things called <laughs> icons. So That's that is my story. And you're sticking to it. And I'm sticking to it. Wow, what a great answer. <laughs> um, so I'm sure it was difficult dealing with blindness at the time that you discovered. Was it more difficult to hear about it when you graduated that you had maybe 20 years or so of sight before you went, uh, maybe it was 30 years, I don't know, uh, before you went blind, or was it more difficult to uh, actually experience it? I think for me, the the hardest moment occurred when the doctor told me that I was going blind. And at that moment, 
my self-confidence just was just drained from me. And when he was talking about going blind, I didn't know anybody blind. So I saw in my future, no really great life ahead of me. And when those two circumstances interacted with each other, I was immobilized, paralyzed, wow. fear took over, and I got very irrational at times about my thought, about what my abilities were. And I know when that day occurred, and I will say this to you, my attitude toward other people and my interaction with them changed. For example, wow. I was graduating college. Everybody was happy. We're going to all do these <laughs> great, wondrous dreams. The best I could say to my other friends, my other colleagues were, good for you. You're not going blind. You know, what am I having to look forward to? And that's what I'm saying to, like, caregivers. When, when your individual, the person who needs care, I find, for me, reached that moment where you couldn't handle everything that was going to happen with you and how you were going to deal with it, I think that that set up a very toxic situation hmm. because I was not being true with the people. I wasn't giving anybody even an inch of leniency. I mean, if you did something and you crossed me, I was going to call you yes, out sir. on it. Because that's how miserable I was feeling inside. And I know when uh, the blindness was hard, but when I be was paralyzed from the MS attack, I said, well, gee, you know, lightning doesn't strike twice. So how could I have this happen to me? And when that happened, I was newly married. My husband was totally on board with the blindness. He said, you know, we'll figure this out. But when we took on that next spin of being paralyzed, he was going to have to, um, I don't know, and you're very familiar with caregiving, when you're paralyzed, somebody's got to give you a suppository to help you uh, do, for example, your, your movement. There's uh -huh. a lot of other things, complexities, that was being thrown on him because our health insurance did not allow me to have any nursing care. So that's where I'm saying that that caregiver aspect for him took on a very wild spin. For me, I was seeing a lot of my dreams diminishing, so yeah. I could not give any leniency for an anywhere. And I think that that's where it starts to take on uh, its own life. The blindness was one of the hardest things because it, I was reminded every day that I was losing my sight and I couldn't control it. Yeah, and that's called anticipatory grief. You start worrying before the thing even happens. Absolutely. Uh, I bet you almost wish, tell me if you thought of this, I bet you almost wish that he never would have told you that, that you just, when it comes, it comes and a surprise. Yeah, I think I would have handled it better that way. Sure. Only because you know, bedside manner wasn't there. Doctors are very direct. And, you know, I'm on the top of the world. I'm looking, I'm thinking in my mind, I got eye strain. I'm studying for two degrees. You know, what else could it be? And he comes in. Did you notice you're losing sight? Well, 
I noticed I was having some sight problems. Let me tell you, you're going blind. Just there wasn't even yeah. a segue. And I they think need to take that, a course in bedside manner. I don't think it exists. No, and I think that these very difficult topics, like which are caregivers, there's some illnesses that doctors I don't think are ready to discuss. Right. You know, cancer, going blind, trying to give hope about something that I think at times they don't know how to give you hope. And so they just figure if you go direct and to the point, off you go. And, I and have hope, to is, hope is very important. You know, the Bible says without hope, the people perish. And he can Absolutely. cause a lot of damage in the way he, he tells the truth, you know. Absolutely. And for me, I really have, I think I could have handled the blindness, you know, as it was happening. And you would have but had more success, perhaps. But I think that I was, I was better at if something was going on, even with the MS, the attack. When that attack happened, I, I was set my mind that I'm gonna, I'm gonna work within this to try to do everything I can. Although I kind of fell apart <laughs> during the journey. But what I'm saying is, it, I think that some of these things, the way the doctors give it to you, your hope is not in the sentence. Right. And like even when I got my implant, I hadn't had vision for over a decade. I did not get any therapy. It was, you know, you're back. But the problem was the world had changed so much. And I asked my doctor, did you really think that I would be ready for this? <laughs> well, he said, never thought about it. And I think that's also the case with a lot of your, your people who yeah. need care because they don't know what is going on. And it happens very, very quickly. They didn't enroll in this. It's not on their resume. They didn't prepare for it. And they had no choice. Like you got drafted into the army overnight. Yeah. You know? And there's no book. A lot of these illnesses, <laughs> at least with blindness, with some other things, cancer, whatever, there's no manual. Here, follow A, B, C, and D, and you're going to be able to survive and thrive. So did you have your vision when you had MS? I was. I had lost a lot of my vision, where when I got my MS attack, I used my cane. I looked like a unicorn. I had my cane in front so I could tap to find the doorways or whatever and then wheel through. So I had very, very minimal sight when the MS came. So, so, so how long did you have the MS or do you still have it? Uh, I, I have little episodes here and there, which I control. I try to control my diet, try to uh, meditate. You know, I'm a, a spiritual girl, so at least I pray or meditate to kind of calm those crazy ideas sometimes going through my mind that are not true. Yeah. But um, you that's still use a I, walker? No, but um, I do on occasion have to use a wheelchair. Okay. But it's intermittently because... It's a little bit difficult to do it with the, the site yeah. and all this to try to navigate it all together. So do you think you had a great attitude in overcoming uh, the MS uh, and as good an attitude as overcoming the blindness or one was better than the other? I think one was, I think one was better than the other. Uh, the blindness, I had to work with my blindness, make peace 
and find a way so that they reached a point where my mental view of blindness made it such that I said, you know, I've got to make a decision here. I can either be happy and join on the bandwagon in life, take what I can get, or just be miserable. And for five years, I sat in a chair miserable. I would wow. not leave my house because they told me I was going blind. I was paralyzed. You were like waiting for it. Yeah. After that, I have to say, when I came to peace, I had a wonderful life being uh, blind. I came to called church. acceptance in the grief process. Yes. And so when I had the MS, I was more able to say, okay, I'm going to work with this because the blindness, I've been working with that. So this cannot be a lot harder than that was. Because I had no knowledge, no nothing. This I don't either, but at least I know with the blindness, I'm making my way and I'm thriving through it. So it gave me hope that, you know, this too shall pass. I remember asking my mother, you know, why is this all happening to me? Me, of all people. And she said, I ask you, why not? <laughs> and I said, what do you mean, why not? She said, you are human these are medical conditions that can hit anybody. So instead of asking why me, ask why not, and then pull yourself to a point where you can make it through. Instead of just spinning around, why did this happen to me? What am I going to do? What am I going to do? I was listening to that endless loop of a bad jingle going through my brain. You yeah. know, what am I going to do? What, and you know that's where you get stuck. But when you reach a point where you're not going to take that and you're going to make the best of what you've got, I think that's where the whole life pivots. So let's talk about your husband. Um, how did you meet? At what point in the relationship did you explain to him that you're going blind? And uh, how did you fall in love? How long did it take to get married? And then how long before the MS came on? I met my husband through a job. I moved here to Florida two weeks before Hurricane Andrew. Didn't know about hurricanes. My husband, I was from New Jersey, you know, hurricane, what's going on? Well, yeah. I live where the building was shaking and everything else, a hundred and something mile an hour winds. My husband worked for the same uh, gentleman who owned our hotel. And I was doing his paychecks and I kept spelling his name wrong because... His boss kept writing it wrong. So he came to see me and said, you know, can you fix this? I have a problem with my check. Sure. I said, come on in and we'll do it right away. Well, as we got to talking, he really thought I was one of the nicest people. He's Canadian, thought I was one of the nicest people he met. So he said, would you like to go out to dinner with me? And teasingly, I said, sure, only if you pay. <laughs> and so he picked me up and we started talking. And I told him how I had moved to Florida because I was going blind and I wanted to, my, my parents had encouraged me to have a dream, live the dream, go. If you want to try Florida, if you have a little bit of sight, go for it. And that's what I did. But I told him in our first meeting and as we got to know each other, I said, look, I'm going to tell you, I'm going blind. And I'm not, you know, as we, he said, I'd like to keep dating you. I said, this blindness thing is not going to go you away. You want pity dating. Yeah, I didn't want that. I said, look, you you can come. I mean, 
I don't know what I can offer you because I've never gone blind. I don't know anybody who's gone blind, but I can tell you this is the deal. You can, you know, I would love it if you're in, but I don't know what I'm, I'm inviting you to come into. And he said, you know, I'm in. Life is funny. I'm an asthmatic, and I thought I was going to die a few times. So he said, you know, because they didn't have asthma medicine in my day. So he says, oh, I'm in. You seem like that, that we can work through this. And that's how we got together. And he was such a supporter. That's what made me fall in love with him. And then um, the blindness, the episodes kept going. He saw I was losing sight. Were you married yet? Uh, no, we were dating. And then we got married. And then... How long did you years, date? How long did we date? We dated about a uh, year and a half, two years. Because okay. I didn't want that pity, right. you know, right. marry because, oh, poor girl, poor blind girl, I'm going to save you. No, I don't want you to save me like that. So... What happened two years into our marriage, it was Thanksgiving, his relatives come, I'm making a turkey, all of a sudden my one leg starts going numb. And I said, gee, it's, sh it's falling asleep, this is crazy, can't wake it up, but I ignored it. I have, I have, I have to make cranberries, I gotta do turkey, yeah. I don't have any time for this. After the dinner, I noticed that both my legs were numb. So I thought, well, maybe I twisted. I'll go to bed. Next day, I'll be okay. Next day, my husband went to his job. I slept in a little late. I went to get up, and I fell to the floor. I couldn't feel my legs. Wow. And then I said, oh, my God. And then I looked on the floor, and I had peed on the floor and never felt it. I did, uh, yeah. And I said, what is going on? So I, I dragged myself, because in those days, we didn't have cell phones was right before the cell phone. How could I you drive, drive if you couldn't feel your extremities? Well, I, this was in one day. I'm just saying, at Thanksgiving, I make okay. a turkey. Day after, I can't walk. So I called my husband. He brought me to uh, the emergency room. Okay, so you didn't drive. They, no, I didn't drive. Okay. They said, we think you have Guy-Bray syndrome. I said, oh, my God. So it ended up, after much ado, they figured out I had MS. It was a very severe MS attack wow. to be my first one. Do they know where it came from? Why? They don't, but they, they said that part of the unknown aspect is that I am a DES baby. And my mother took a drug. I'm sorry, what does that mean? Uh, a DES, it was a drug that women took in the early 60s so that uh, if they were natural, like, uh, aborters of babies to keep the baby within you, oh, this drug was supposed to... Fertility drug. Fertility drug to keep you to full, full term. Okay. And my mother took that, but they figured out years later, and they, I guess it was two years, they, they stopped it. The babies that came, that, were, that came from these women that took this drug, some of them had... Uh, small like appendages you know malformed hands legs and uh, some of the girls the female offspring had fertility problems so we could never get pregnant and that was my gig so they thought that the des had affected because i was not able to even carry a baby that the des could have you know kind of twisted my system a little bit affected it on that note but it was a big MS attack, and 
it that I was in the rehab center for nine months. Wow. Yeah, because uh, it's funny when you go to the rehab center, it's like Hotel California. They don't let you check out until you do the minimum requirements. You got to do like a minute at a standing table. And, you know, when you don't feel your legs, you don't know how to block them. And you had to learn how to slide on a board so you could go off in and off a toilet or in and out of a car. So there were certain minimum requirements to leave the rehab you had to be able to do. Dress yourself because your extremities, your legs and all that are, feel, are very heavy to lift up. You know, you don't realize how heavy they are when you can't move them. So yeah. you had to be able to do all of that before they'd let you go home. So I had to, I, so, I went through those challenges. So bottom line is you married a good man. He stuck, he stuck around. A lot of men wouldn't do that. That's right. But, uh, and he's still with you. Is, is he in good health? He, uh, well, he has had, uh, he's had heart, uh, heart procedure. He's had five heart attacks. Wow. Um, yeah, he's had stents, but he's he's a little bit older than me. He's seventy, and, but he goes full strength. He's a resilient little Canadian. I will tell you that. So your caregivers to each other, huh? Yes, but I'll tell you this: the best thing he ever did for me when he was care was a caregiver for me was to give me set up some boundaries. Really? Because yeah. I have to tell you, when I was suffocating him, there was a point where. He would say, well, let me just step outside for a few minutes to get some air. And I'd say, you're going outside? What happens if I fall? Who's going to be here to help me? I, I don't think you love me if you're doing this. Right. And they reached a point where he said, look, I loved you my whole heart. But I'm telling you, you're strangling me. I have got to have some. There's enough air in this world for both of us. <laughs> but I've got to have at least a few minutes. If you just let me free for a couple of minutes, I won't forget about you. And yeah. what he did was he said, look, I need this because it's not going to work if we don't work together. He said, so how about if we do this? He said, I'll do like five minutes just to give myself a breath and I'll come right back. How yeah. about then after that, we'll try 15, half an hour. And slowly... What me regaining some of my confidence in right. my ability, for example, to pour myself a glass of water. Oh, I can't get my water. I'm so upset because I might fall. Right. You know, come on. <laughs> and I found that when he gave me enough is enough, I can't, I'll, I'll do everything for you that I can, but I can't have you pull me under. I can't do this. Then I had to yield a little bit too. And I have to say, working together and having that boundary. And I, I was kicking and screaming about it. I, if you've read my letter, I was not going to let him get off that easily. You know, what do you mean you're going to leave for half an hour? Yeah. How, how am I going to survive? But it was so essential because as I got my confidence he was able to go and do his thing. He was able to go back to work. He was a truck driver at that time. He was able to go on the road as I got better. Thank God. He were able, for me, he able to line up friends or whatever. If I needed, if I had a problem, you could call Sally any day or night. He was handling all 
of the 911s going on in my brain. <laughs> because, and I feel that that was the best thing he ever did, even uh, though I was kicking and screaming, because I was not great with him. You know, I was all about me because it was so much trauma yeah. on me. I just didn't know how to find my way. That's normal. And I was not very nice to him. And I will tell all your caregivers, I am a person that says, I am sorry. I don't even think I told my husband that I was sorry at some of the things and the things I said to him. And I'm sure you all have heard it. Yeah. Or, you know, just the way I responded to things. But I wasn't, I would say, in my right mind. But in fairness to him, it wasn't fair for me to put himself out of his right mind either. Yeah. And I will say to all the caregivers that I know you have a lot of difficult people like me. And you, yeah. and my wife now, was one of them. <laughs> you know, you know, and. I say this, that, you know, a lot of us never say thank you. A lot of us don't even acknowledge that you right, guys right. have been 24 hours, cleaned us up when we had our accidents. That's right. It's a thankless say, job. <laughs> it's a thankless job. But I think I want to be the one that says, look, you all gave me care. My husband gave me care. And I want to apologize for all of us who are rude and ignorant not to thank you for all your efforts to make our life better. Everybody hear that? You've been apologized to by your spouse and your caregiver by proxy. Now, Beth, uh, uh, we can keep talking, but uh, we've run out of time. Oh, my and goodness. Time sure flies when you're having fun. But oh, tell us sure. about your book. Why, why did you write it? What are people going to get out of it? And where can they I, get it? I wrote the book Eclipsed in appreciation for my journey and and to show people that you know whatever's ailing you like with me blindness it does not have to define you it doesn't have to define what type of life you think you will have you know it's all open and a lot of it is what you want to do to make it whatever you envision but everybody's got to have his part or her part in the equation and that's what the eclipse is about. It's it's it has humor. It's not a Debbie Downer. It talks about the, the hard times. It talks about some funny stories with me and my journey, some wisdom I've gained from other people who've been disabled, blind, whatever, how to look at life differently. And also a great appreciation for the journey because this whole journey has made me who I am today. And I, my responsibility, I feel at this juncture is to help other people who've been in that miserable little spin to say, you know what? Look at, life is not easy, but sometimes their answers are there, just need a little work. Yeah. And for people who are trying to help you, take a breath before you chase them off you know, think about what they're trying to do for you. And I, that's what the eclipse is about. I feel that I went blind. I lost my vision. But by regaining my, my confidence and all that and figuring out that I was more than just two eyes, it allowed me to 
bring a message of hope to people. Bad things happen to good people, and that's a yeah. fact. But you know what? Good things happen to good people too. And thank God that we have the caregivers. That's one of the good things that helps us navigate these very difficult waters. And that's what, that is what the, the book Eclipse is about. Awesome. It's about you can find your way. And, and it talks about my husband when he redid our home when I was in the wheelchair so that I could have access to things. And he said, and if anything ever changes with your blindness, I can change it all back. And I, that gave me confidence and courage. And that's what the eclipse is about. That all there's, right. there's bright, bright sides, sunny sides in the midst of the storm. How can people get a hold of you or buy your book? You can find me everywhere on social media. You can find me Elizabeth dot Elizabeth Pizzarello.com. You can find me on Amazon because my book Eclipsed is on Amazon and being sold through Amazon. And that's how you can find me. I'm in social media, I'm Facebook, everywhere, everywhere. And I encourage anybody who has maybe has had experienced a moment with your caregivers or a person who has a little remorse over how they treated the person <laughs> who helped them, you know, write me a note and say, you know, I'm glad that you said that you confessed that you were one of the people that wasn't so great with the caregiver who gave the best he could for you. And you're, that's what I want to great. encourage people to do. You are awesome. You're amazing. And uh, thank you so much for coming on the show. Let me just say my best-selling book to my audience out there, Secrets from the Hammock, Uncommon Wisdom for Uncommon Times, Spreading Wisdom All Over the World, available wherever books are sold, and also on my free membership website, caregiverdave.com, where you can also schedule a free 30-minute initial coaching call to talk about whatever you're struggling with. 30 minutes of wisdom can often resolve a debilitating problem. Again, caregiverdave.com. And don't forget my Caregiver Dave Facebook online community, 34,000 caregivers strong, lots of tools, resources, videos, this radio show, and much, much more. And did you know if you click the like or follow button on whatever platform you're watching or listening to this interview on, it helps us reach even more caregivers by improving Google's search engine algorithms. So a true heartfelt thank you to all my listeners out there all over the world for tuning in every Wednesday, making us the number one caregiver radio show on the Internet. So thank you again. Thank you. Have a great, wonderful day and a wonderful week and a wonderful life. Bye-bye. We are a community of caregivers that understands and supports you wherever you are in your journey. We are a place to connect with other caregivers, but more importantly, a place to get practical, actionable help. There are lots of ways for you to get support. First of all, you can download our welcome pack. This will get you started on your Thrive journey. Next, you can ask and get answers to your questions by posting them here in our private Facebook groups. You can also get live online support by attending one of our live weekly Connect webinars. You can get practical, actionable advice by listening to our weekly podcast. You can hear and read other stories about other caregivers' experiences. Plus, add your own in our weekly Share Your Story forum, posted every Tuesday in the Facebook group, you can access essential resources and download practical Thrive Solutions Packs, 
all of which are geared to help you thrive as a caregiver. You get lifetime access to all of our resources. Again, we're here to support you and help you thrive and to enjoy your life as a caregiver. And remember, this is a place to get hope, not just cope. Sometimes it feels like the sun will never rise, like the birds will never sing again. Keep breathing, take it in and let it out. Keep breathing, it's gonna be okay. could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission. At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.